Joe, do you know the last words my grandfather said to me just before he kicked the bucket? No. Hey, watch me kick this bucket. Hey, Joe, did you hear the one about the limbo champion who walked into a bar? Yeah, you don't have to do this. He, he, he got disqualified. <laughs> he, he, he was disqualified. The, lim, the limbo champ. Joe. Uh, welcome back. Uh, Joe, me, everybody to Carnival Personnel. I'm Jacques. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! It's been I I it's been um it's been a while. No, I was gonna go with that. It's been three days since you looked. It's been uh, three weeks since we got to see me crying uncontrollably. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the 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 holidays, uh, influenza. Uh, just, just life conspiring against us. I even got us. outfluenza. That's how bad it <laughs> was. How... Boy, I'll tell you, it's the uh, this the heaviness, the heaviness. Uh, are you calling me fat? Yeah. Okay, that's I'm fine with it. Uh, more your observation, humor. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's been a month since we've done this. Um, you've missed me endlessly. I know. Hmm. Um. Uh, as I as I told Joe, you know, many many listener. All-Star Tommy has, and a couple of people have, like, pointed out, it's like, hey, what the fuck, you know? A couple of people were like, yeah, I had some time off to catch up on shit like this, and uh, we left him, Joe. We just left him. High and dry. Uh, how was your Christmas? All right, yours? It was It was great. You know, the kids are still at that age where it's there's still a bit of magic. Um, I was able to get the wife... Uh, the only thing she wanted, she's been asking for a few months, is these Funko Pops of Duran Duran. And truly, nobody had them the week before Christmas, but just a couple days before they started coming in. But it meant truly calling a bunch of GameStops and all these. And, you know, I got a three of each one of them. You know, one to display, one to play with, and one just because. <laughs> uh, so, so Christmas here was great. And then uh, your New Year's? We did the usual watching Three Stooges Marathon at home with the kids, and wife excluded, of course, because can't stand them. She can't stand them. I don't know what she has against classic comedy, but, you know, to each their own. Um, I'd like to say a different reaction here, but, you know, I don't know why we just don't come on New Year's and let the wives go and do whatever. We actually had an interesting New Year's. Um, had a sleepover here. The wife had a couple friends. Um, and, and they all have, have kids the same age as our youngest one. So our youngest one had the best New Year's because he had, you know, three pals staying up to New Year's with them. Uh, the oldest one was sick. I ended up like, you know, going, he ended up laying down around eight. I, you know, went to check in on him and woke up around 11, 15, 11, 20. I'm like, oh, I don't want to get out of bed, but I'll go watch, you know, the ball drop, you know. And every time the ball drops, like, you know, in Times Square, you know, Justin Bieber gets a little jealous because his balls haven't dropped, you know. Justin Bieber's an older gentleman. Yeah, but I'm, that's what I'm saying. Right. Because oh, he's, he's saying he's a, you know, really? oh, yeah. Canadian. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we should have just went with Canadian. <laughs> and uh, and then, of course, you know, because I had planned ahead of maybe falling asleep because I'm old, is uh, taped all the, the My TV 38 running of the Stooges. and uh, With uh, Dale Andelman and uh, Dave Andelman. So I can just fast forward through. I, uh, they, oh, Dan, Dan and Dave. Dan he and had Dave. nothing 
and we talked about this last year. They add nothing to it for me. It's just, their yammering is just like collectively like two less Stooge episodes over the evening that I could watch. Well, they, they need to be part of the bumpers, the intros and outros of those classic comedy sketches. and uh, Because they're part of the Phantom Gourmet, which is literally the only original show left on my TV 38 in Boston. Much to the chagrin of you and I who have been fighting for years to get the movie loft back. Right. Well, Dana Hersey just retired from uh, TV 38, the movie loft. I think actually maybe because they don't show movies anymore on TV 38. They What do they... I don't know what... I Infomercials. And- I think they just show like Big Bang Theory reruns and the Phantom Gourmet on a constant loop. So we, um, you know, I, I, I haven't used, I have not used this time to prepare better for the show and make a list of sideshows. I have not made any re- re- uh, resolutions this year. Um, I, I just didn't go through that whole formality, which means, looking at the bright side, I've not broken two weeks in, haven't broken one, not one. That's the way to go, baby. But I would like to do more sideshows and we'll get into it a little bit but i've pretty much rewatched the entire what's considered canon by the star wars universe since we've last oh that's what we watched canon uh okay that's a fantastic show vastly william conrad was that his name and uh and uh, who else? There was somebody else big on that show too. But. Conrad Bain. Were there two Conrads? <laughs> no, you're thinking Conrad of, you're and thinking Conrad. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so so that was pretty great. Um, now let's get into you know, and one of the things that I had written down is like, yeah, we should do a sideshow pretty soon about Star Wars, uh, the timeline. I found a great website that has broken down the timeline of the canon. Mm. Um, but then since we've gotten together, you know, there's been some passings, one of which I think warrants a Carnival Personnel sideshow, and that's Buck Henry. Yep. The uh, famed writer on Saturday Night Live wrote The Graduate. He wrote, co-wrote and co-created Get Smart with Mel Brooks. He uh, also not only was he's, – he's the first five-timer on SNL as host. I forget how many times he hosted in total, but it was, I think it was only like – within like a span of three seasons or four seasons that he hosted like 15 times because back then I, they only had like a, it was like a it was like a pitching rotation they had like five starters that they would just constantly go through i think george carlin was in there yeah, george carlin Candace was bergen uh steve martin maybe um but he was also like he was in a lot of memorable sketches he was in uh the, the creepy uncle sketch so i want i want i want to start there oh. Um, so comedy was always, you had me a creepy uncle. <laughs> comedy was always, you know, my thing growing up. And it's funny cause you know, we've talked about this. My nine year old is really into SNL now and it's really tough cause a lot of the skits are vastly inappropriate. And as I'm talking about Buck Henry, I'm around the same age as he is now when Buck Henry was playing the creepy uncle with who would show up at the house with candy in his pockets and say, "Oh, I forget the." Line. Oh, he would have candies, and she found like you know it was like Lorraine Newman an and almond joy. Because you found the almond joy, now see if you can find the arms. <laughs> you know the um, the mounds, the mounds. It's like that's just you know, and he did. He played these pedophilia 
characters. Now, characters. <laughs> I, we've also talked about. It was his oeuvre, if you will. We've also talked about Buck Henry in so far as my old bandmate Rod. And, I, and I'm not. Rod, Rod, as far as taking pharmaceuticals go, like I was just alcohol. Rod, I think, was just alcohol and a little weed. And, and the other guys, no names mentioned, Dan and John. It's like they only took drugs that were given to them. <laughs> you know, uh, they 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 followed the uh, the just say yo um, theory. Uh, but so when I tell you that Rod used to have, and I'm not kidding, Buck Henry hallucinations on a regular basis, like swears to God, see him hitchhiking or just in the middle of like nowhere, like like. Um, Having these Native American like Jim Morrison kind of yeah hallucinations. And, but, all, all, and they were all. To be fair, weird. most hitchhikers look like Buck Henry. <laughs> you know that is a fair statement. Uh, so Buck Henry for me, you know my you know you know nine ten eleven and stuff like that was just another guy, and he wasn't the funniest guy. He was always the the straight guy, like in the samurai. Because uh, he he was the author of the the samurai jokes with John Belushi, right? Like he would he would be the guy that would walk into the delicatessen and order the sandwich that John Belushi would then make with the katana. He was sliced in the face a lot on live television in one of yeah. those sketches, yeah, and kept going, yeah. You know, He's I a mean, pro. that's it's seriously a trooper. So then, you know, I, I hit my teen years and stuff like that. Always as a kid, get smart was was. In your wheelhouse and mine growing up, I never read the credits. You know, credits, I mean, it's like, you know, the only thing about, the only good thing about credits. I didn't credits, read. I didn't read. But the the fun part about the credits were the music, you know. Uh, but this is the guy. So years later, that's when I realized, wait a minute. Once I get to film school, it's like I knew The Graduate. I didn't know Buck Henry was nominated for the Academy Award of the adaptation. You know, it was based on the book that he did that. I also I didn't know until like years later. Like Heaven Can Wait was a big movie for me. I loved, and I'm ten when that came out. That was, you know, it was one of those things. It's like we saw it in the drive-in one summer, like six or seven times, and then we saw it the next summer six or seven times because it was the first feature, you know, the when it was still dusk and, and stuff. So I saw – but I didn't know. I mean from the graduate to the, um, you know, graduate and, and those. Those are like two of the biggest movies that, you know, you know, growing up uh, get smart. So like I said, I mean he's somebody who warrants, you know, a sideshow. Not, you know, kind of done one just now. But My introduction to Buck Henry was during formal edition. And I'll tell you why. Tell me why. Because there was an episode where, if you, all of you formal edition fans know, it was myself, our friend Jim, and our other friend Steve that hosted. And it was something that we did in the 90s that Jacques was a, uh, an integral part of. Cable access show, three idiots talking to nobody. Wait, that's kind of like what we're doing now. <laughs> only, anyways. And we had a sketch where Steve had gone missing but had been replaced by a 10-year-old boy who was played by Jimmy Fowley, um, your cousin, now you know, world-renowned superstar. Yeah. Anyways, um, and then he sits in for Steve. He's passing as Steve. Nobody's noticing it's not Steve. Finally, Steve enters the room and says, sorry, I'm late, guys. 
and he looks down at the kid who says he's Steve. <laughs> I'm remembering it now. And uh, we go, well, if he's Steve, then who are you? And the kid goes, Buck Henry, which is a line written by you. Because I didn't know. Nobody else in the room knew who Buck Henry was. And we are like, Buck Henry? And I'm, then I, you know, this is pre-Google, so I had to go to you and say, who is Buck Henry? And then you just hit me. <laughs> I remember, you know, the other funny part about that skit is we, we, we you know, um, we love Steve. And, you know, and, and we know, uh, f- you know, Flora's listening, probably, hopefully listening. Um, but the, one of the running jokes was how well little Steve was delivering the lines and how prepared he was for the show. Cause he's you, you know, and it's like you and Jim is like, wow, you're really on today. You really, you know, you're not your usual <laughs> dumb self <laughs> dummy. Well, well I, I, I remember the skip, but I didn't remember Jimmy saying that. And just as you're getting there, I'm like, Oh, right. Yep. So that, <laughs> that trip down memory lane is time. You'll never get back listener, <laughs> but it was just talking about Buck Henry. Um, so, so, you know, Buck Henry, um, is this the Buck Henry sideshow now. Yeah, pretty. Yeah. You know what? Why don't we just snip this out? And, <laughs> so things, you know, so, uh, yesterday it was, you know, um, uh, while we're talking about Steve, like, you know, Steve was somebody who had commented on, on Facebook about this, the passing of Neil Pert, the drummer of Rush. Is it Pert or Peart? Pert. Doesn't matter. He's dead. And, um, it does matter because that was a huge part of my childhood. And when we started this podcast, the stated goal of the podcast was to obtain more regular listeners who are female than attend a Rush concert. <laughs> and I think we've already mentioned Floor. Mission accomplished, I think. <laughs> uh, but our good friend, our good friend, um, Mike Sullivan, he lives for Rush. Rush is his everything. and It's, it's his Rush. It's, Rush is his work. Rush. And as soon as I heard it, I like, you know, I, I did. I, I reached out to him. About like a half hour later, my sister had email or had text a bunch of our friends and family. It's like, and she was half joking, but she's like, has anyone checked in on Mike? Are we sure he's okay? Um, you know, the fun thing is, and a lot of people don't know this. They should. I mean, Neil Peart is the drummer's drummer. I mean, anybody who's 40 or over knows his drum solo, the song, you know, YYC from moving pictures. Um, Fun fact about the song, YYC is the airport code for the airport in Toronto where the three guys, like, you know, are from. I thought those were the letters on my zipper. (laughs) Well played. Uh, So he's a fantastic, amazing drummer, a drummer's drummer. You know, he always had the gigantic, ridiculous, huge, you know, drum set. He's also wrote most of the songs for Rush. He's the lyricist, which a lot of people didn't know. And he would write all the songs, you know. The guitarist, um, Alex, and, and of course, Getty Lee and his famed, like, nose, uh, would write all, would record all the music, and then he would come in. They would never rehearse it together. They were, they would come in, play their parts, and then Neil would just come in and do, you know, do whatever. Um, you know, a band that was been together 50 years, you know, which is pretty amazing. Uh, he passed away this week. I didn't know he was sick. I know he had stepped back from touring a few years ago. And if you've seen any documentaries, that guy's life has been thrown like a few curveballs. His his wife and daughter 
like late teen daughter passed away within a year of each other. This is going back like 10 years. And he literally just got on his motorcycle and drove like spent a couple years just, and I've seen this in different documentaries where the guys like, yeah, every month or so we would get a postcard to say, just check it in. I'm okay. But he did. He just didn't tell him. I don't think he knew where he was going. He just got on his bike and drove across North America and stuff like that. Right. It's like Forrest Gump, but with yeah. a motorcycle. So, so that, that was, you know, but then, uh, you know, and where things come in threes, I, I assume that you're not a fan or weren't really a fan or didn't really know Don Imus that much. I only know Don Imus through Howard Stern and their complete disdain for how much of a racist asshole he was. And see, I have a different, you know, take on it. Um. Racist asshole, possibly. I don't know if he was a racist asshole. I, I think it's pretty. The, the The evidence is pretty empirical. I, I I really I really didn't, but I liked him for a lot of reasons. Like he was the first syndicated person that I had known. Like when when radio syndication kind of became a thing. Uh this is like the early 90s. I heard him a lot on because he was like the morning guy on one of the sports. The only sports station. They didn't have a morning sports show. It was his show that was syndicated. And he was really, you know, he was kind of a funny guy. Uh, you know, he used to have on this guy, uh, Kinky Friedman. And Kinky Free. well, Kinky Friedman is a famed writer and a musician. And his band is Kinky, Free- Kinky Friedman and the Texas Jew Boys. And the official Imus song was the Ain't Making Jews Like Jesus Anymore. Hysterical song. Um, if you look up Kinky Friedman, like, you know, um, he he has taken the song "Proud to Be an Okie from Estoki and made it "Proud to Be an Asshole" from El Paso, and it's mocking racism and 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 all that kind of stuff. Yes, the the fame thing with with Don Imus is where he had you know set you know set nappy headed hoes in relationship to the Rutgers women's basketball team. There was something that happened with the team, and he had said that. And, and that was and, decades later after because I. I, I you know, from what I understand, so Don Imus was the DJ at WNBC in New York in the 80s and the 70s. Howard Stern. The DJ. Yes, the DJ. Howard Stern comes in as the morning man to Don Imus's afternoon drive. Uh, Howard, or the other way around. Maybe he, maybe Imus was the morning man and Stern was in the afternoon. Um, but from what I understand, through the tellings of the Stern crew who worked at WNBC with Don Imus. Don Imus, it was no secret, drug addict, alcoholic. Fine. That's all fine. You can be a drug addict and alcoholic and not be racist. Don't be repetitive. You already said he was a GJ in the 70s and 80s. It's assumed he was alcoholic and drug addict. But he was also a blatant kind of racist guy. Like He would call people the N-word to their face in the hallways. Of NBC, you know, and behind their backs, and probably on the air, um, probably. And and yeah. and, and the the Don Imus, the the one that I ended up hearing was maybe older and different. And again, I'm not make I'm not and making an apology Stern or saying that. Um, maybe, yeah. but I mean, he spent like the last twenty years of his life. Um, he bought a like a five thousand acre farm. Or a working ranch mm-hmm. and made it a 100% a working ranch for cancer kids. Like hundreds and hundreds of kids, and I forget the name of it, you know, went to his ranch for, you know, the last 20 years of his life. Right. Because when you're a kid with cancer, the, lo- the first thing you want to do 
is bail hay. <laughs> but it was. It was. It was for free. No, <laughs> I think they paid to go to the camp. No, <laughs> but but he was a nominal fee. Now, mm-hmm. I, and here's something else that I will say about Don Imus. Don Imus hated Howard Stern, everything about Howard Stern, for some legit reasons, and also just threatening that the new kid was coming in and stealing his thunder. I mean, Don Imus was the shock jock. He was the most, you know, the biggest shock jock ever. And then, you know, Howard comes along and hold my beer and takes it to a completely different level. I will say this. Don Imus was never shy about saying how much he hated Howard Stern. He also never missed the opportunity to say, I hate that Weasley pimp or pimple, you know, he used to call, because, but I will, you know, I will throw myself on a grenade to defend his right to do what he does. Yeah. Like Don Imus was probably one of his biggest champions because his, his word held a lot of weight, you know, and so, you know, he didn't like what he did. So I liked Don Imus. Um, the Don Imus that I listen to and the kinky free man and the defending the free speech kind of guy, um, the cancer, you know, um, maybe we put him up there with, um, uh, oh, St. Jude's Hospital. Oh, Danny Thomas. The, the kind of guilt that makes you build cancer <laughs> ranches. Cancer ranches. Um, but yeah, but it doesn't make up for, you know, if he was, you know, a racist piece of shit, you know, for a large part of his life. You know, they say the best cure for cancer is scorching heat. <laughs> Why are you putting down the fact that he gave these kids like, you know, what? I, you know, what did he give them? People- the cure for cancer? <laughs> Cuz if it wasn't that, probably wasn't really worth it. Now was it? Did these kids like were they homeless from the cancer? <laughs> and he said, "Come live in my ranch." Um, and, well, and and saddle that horse, will you? Can we look at the can bright you shoe side? A couple of horses for can we me. Look at the bright side. We yeah, now, wham! My we, hair is falling out. We've <laughs> big deal. My those manes need to be <laughs> need to be brushed on a daily basis. The sugar cubes are getting low, kids. <laughs> Speaking of pork. Um, now we have three new impressions that we can both do, you know. So, so my repertoire has grown. Uh, I love the fact. Don't that show you, me your repertoire. That you remember that Jimmy's character was Buck Henry. That's great. I want to watch that skit now. Um, so, on another uh, uh, note, um, you know, and I, I'm kind of all over the place with this next one, but there's been another note from Epstein's mother. Go on. I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Have I you do. followed the I'm, late? I'm something. Please, please excuse Juan's accidentally deleting the footage of the wing that Epstein was on on the night that he uh, was mur- killed himself, was murdered. Killed himself. Murder killed. Killed murdered. Uh, and uh, and Jeffrey Epstein was murdered. <laughs> is that what the guy on Fox News said? Was murdered or didn't kill himself? What, what, what did the guy say? Remember? few weeks ago anyway are you talking about the guy guy the guy who was on fox news talking about the training of military dogs and at the end of the interview epstein didn't kill himself (laughs) um so according to to, according to the reports attorney general william barr was the only authority outside of the manhattan federal prison where jeffrey epstein was being held to have seen the video footage or lack thereof of the cell or cell block where Jeffrey Epstein was the night he died. And according to 
Jeffrey, uh, according to Bill Barr, the, uh, the 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 critical timeline of the video that was that they could have either exonerated or confirmed theories that he hung himself or was murdered had been deleted accidentally as part of a clerical error. Right, we because they said in a note to the people that were handling the video footage, do not delete it. And they deleted that email. And then deleted the video. And this is right on the heels, I think... I think Nixon's secretary works <laughs> just, for... Just before our last podcast, or just after our last podcast, I remember listening. Um, the two guards who, quote-unquote, both fell asleep at the same time. You know, they both have the excuse. Well, when you come at the same time. Yeah, no, you... it happens. It happens. Um, have, have since been arrested. And so the two guards who fell asleep have been arrested. The footage has gone missing. And, you know, and this is what will make this a conspiracy that will go on for a long time. The great number of people that would have, I, I don't know if you say benefited, but lives not turned upside down. And we're talking from Bill Clinton to Donnie Two Scoops mm-hmm. to the British royal family. And those are just some of the high-profile people we know about. There's other people who we don't know about who are billionaires whose lives would have been in turmoil if he, you know, got all talky. <laughs> yep. So, right, this is one of those things that will never go away until the next pedophile billionaire ring leader Yeah, arrives. but it is. It's like the Kennedy assassination where... There's so many people who would have, you know, who would have benefited by him being off or wanted him off. You can make a, it was the Cubans, it was the Russians, it was, you know, Lyndon Johnson, it was, you know, uh, the mob. So uh, it's just, it's not, it's funny, but it's not funny. Um, They should make a game. But in 2019 that that can happen. Do you think Hasbro could come out with a a Jeffrey Epstein (laughs) version of Clue where instead of like a bunch of rooms, it's just like one cell? And like, it was Jeffrey Epstein in the jail cell with the sheets. You know what I mean? You know the game Clue. Anything but that. Maybe it was it was Bill Clinton's right. assistant. It was yeah, right. It was with, Bill Clinton with with with, with Blotus's tax returns <laughs> stuffed down his throat by the Queen of England. <laughs> um, so no, that that's just that's just more fucked up news. So you haven't seen Star Wars, um, the 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 Rise of Skywalker. So we won't talk about that. I will say, and we'll get into it in a second. All the TV I've watched, I watched like Star Wars Rebels. Um, as much as we like to talk about other funny people, or not other funny people being real funny, but other podcasts, Conan had um, Al Franken on recently, and I just want to talk about. Did you hear that episode? I did. Fart Doctor. Oh yeah, and my favorite thing. So long, long story short, um, Al Franken, as a guest, had pitched, you know, or, or, or you know, he was a writer. He was no at the time. Uh, Al Gore was going on the show. He came in to write that week. Oh, for Al Gore, and he came up with this skit called Fart Doctor that didn't make it. And he really liked the idea, and and a lot of other people really thought it was funny. Um, and he subsequently had submitted it several times over like the next year and it never made any explains why he thinks it did or didn't. It was hysterical, but Tina Fey was the head writer 
on the show at the time when he kept submitting it. And it's Al Franken, you know, who wrote on the show forever, like 15 years. And the premise of Fart Doctor, briefly, is he's a doctor who can diagnose the illness based on your farts. But, like, house, Like, amazing. Like, people can't solve these things. Right. Can, you know. And they bring in the Fart Doctor. <clears throat> Flash. So it never makes it on the show. But Al Franken was talking... And, of course, we would have known that because it didn't make it on the show. So, but on Thirty Rock, Fart Doctor was one of the skits that Tina Fey's character Liz, Lame, Liz Lemon famously was working on all the time. It was a running character on the show Thirty Rock. Right. It's like, where's Liz? Oh, she's working on Fart Doctor. And the best part was, for a while, she was dating Matt Damon on the show, who was a pilot, and she didn't want to tell him what he had done for, you know, what she did for a living. And then she's like, well, I write the show. It's like, you know, I write the Fart Doctor sketches. And he's like, that's the greatest! And he's like, so didn't make it on the air ever. Uh, my only hope in life is that SNL does it. it, it it's it. It would be a fantastic skit. I think it would, I think it's actually best that it does not go on SNL. I think it it, it living in the Thirty Rock universe is good it's enough. Good enough. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, our doctor and Al Franken. Jacques, you ignorant slut. <laughs> and it's just great to hear Al Franken talk about Fart Doctor for ten minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I got you. Yeah. It was, it was great. Remember when he was a senator? I do. Yeah. Hopefully, he is again. Um. 70 board games uh, I have on the list here. So our oldest one, as we've talked about, 70s board game has been, you know, has been going, you know, been dealing with a therapist for a while, you know, for for video games. We've talked about it. So his therapist recently has started bringing in these, uh, I want to say like touchy-feely board games to talk about feelings and stuff. Joe, they're awesome. And every time he brings one in, I'm like... How old is this? And we're we're literally talking. This guy's been lugging these around since probably the late seventies, early eighties, or you know, I don't. I'm gonna I'm gonna post a couple pictures because I've taken pictures of the boxes. Mm. I gotta get them. Like we have to play these games, and they're derivative of like shoots and ladders or Candyland. But it's like you know, hopes and feelings. Yes. Yeah. You land on this. And it's like, oh, you know, so, you know, this is a feeling card or this, you know, and it's like, oh, my God. Um, and, and, you know, because, you know, his mom and I sit in on the next session. We all play these games. And the funny thing is, are kids fun enough where he gets the quirkiness and the funniness of them? And I don't know why. The, the doctor lets me sit in the room and it's like my old my kid is always apologizing to the doctor for my behavior <laughs> in these <laughs> sessions. He's like, yeah, my dad doesn't take anything seriously. I'm like, of course we take things serious. You know, that's why we're here, buddy. Mm-hmm. But this comedy, you know what I mean? These, you know, it's like, you know, so you're obsessed with sex. You're the one showing me the dirty pictures. You know? <laughs> um, but I do. I, I, I see these games and I'm like, I know it would be grossly grossly, uh, I don't want to say irresponsible, inappropriate to ask if you can come to the sessions. <laughs> but these games are like, are these, Joe has to play these. Are these homemade games? They're not, you know? I mean, literally. I No, I don't think they're rolling off the line at Parker Brothers. <laughs> but they, uh, no, we're talking real, real board games, real pieces, real, you know, cards and stuff. So, 
You get to play the get out of Thanksgiving card. <laughs> yeah, you just have to go to Canada. Um, so we got that. Burt Ward, and, you know, really quickly, Burt Ward got his star on the Walk of Fame this week. You know, pretty, pretty happy about that. Um, so now let's see. So now let's get into a little TV. A lot of TV. So Joe was sick. Um, sick of these high prices. <laughs> everybody else in my family took turns being sick. The holidays, it's like, so the kids are home for school because, you know, Christmas fell on like a Wednesday. Was it a Wednesday this year? It was. It, it ended up being like a 12-day break when there was a snow day just before the break or huh. just after the break. Um, so I was stuck here for two weeks. If one kid wasn't sick, then the other one did. I've watched more TV since we've last seen each other, Joe. Plus, uh, no sports. Um, so I've seen so many stuff. So I'm going to ramble off some of the stuff that I've watched. What have you seen? What are, What have you? Um, well, I don't know if I've mentioned this. No, I haven't since the last time we podcasted. <clears throat> I completed Cheers on Netflix, the entire run, including the... A Tonight Show episode that was live from the Bull and Finch pub with the cast of Cheers minus Kirstie Alley, hosted by Jay Leno, and uh, in which it was sh- done live, and the cast was noticeably drunk. Um, it was it was pretty funny. It, it, I forgot. Th- I remember watching it live. Uh, I uh, forgot that Bob Costas was in the Bull and Finch there and kind of taking Jay on a tour of all of the notable, notable, the, the notable people that were in the bar that night, like Senator John Kerry. Um, I think, uh, who else? Uh, Jim Rice was there. Uh, it was a who's who of Boston sports and politics. Um, they had a, you know, uh, then they had the cast of cheers. Um, that was fun to see. In a, yeah, they, they were drunk, but not like as drunk as I imagined that they would be. Um, but it, it was just weird for him, listening to Jay Leno trying to give a, a, a monologue on Beacon Street <laughs> to a bleacher full of people who were probably themselves drunk at 1130 at night on a, on a Thursday evening. It was the winter night, too. Wasn't it a no, cool it was, night? Uh, no, okay. it was May because it was the end of the series, you know, so it was like... Nice weather, uh, and uh, but it was it was it was and Bill Clinton had just become president. Like you know, he was in office like five months, so uh, there was some vintage Clinton jokes. They um, they invited him. They couldn't get. They almost got him. It was close, but no cigar. <laughs> yep. It was close, yep. but no cigar. Yep. I got you. I'll show myself out. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> So I watched that, but now I moved on to a show that I didn't watch a lot when it was on, which is my um, M.O. in life, is to not watch what's popular now and then watch it 10 years later, is The Office. So now I've watched through season nine. Uh, It's nine seasons. I'm I'm in the beginning of season nine. So I'm finishing that up. And um, I watched a documentary called Don't Fuck With Cats. Which is it's a three part documentary on Netflix about uh, this group of people on Facebook in the, in 2011 who watched a video of a guy uh, taking two kittens and putting them in a vacuum seal bag and killing them in the vacuum seal bag, and 
wanting to dox this guy, find out who this guy was. And they were there was two people individual two individuals in particular who are part of this documentary who were like the Holmes and Watson of finding out who this guy was. Eventually, this guy goes on to actually kill somebody, and it's a it's a pretty riveting, odd documentary. And it's three hours, so three parts, three hours. Um, may, might not be up your alley because it doesn't involve lightsabers or anything, uh, and it's kind of a downer, kind of a downer. But it's also it's also fascinating, and I, I I didn't I went into it cold. I didn't know what to expect. I was like, don't fuck with cats. I'm like, okay, this sounds like it's going to be one of those quirky kind of internet type you know documentaries, you know, about how we're obsessed with the cat culture or something like that. And it turns out it was something much more sinister than that. So I'm going to run down some of the stuff I've been watching, and it's funny. Uh, I took a little different path than you, Joe. You know, uh, the Good Place. Talking about Ted Danson, uh, Cheers. The Good Place is the best thing he's done since Cheers. I might say the best thing he's done. Um, the first three seasons are on Netflix. And the guy who created the show, uh, he's, been, sure. he's been begged to do another season. And all along, he said, nope, four seasons. This is how many chapters the, the story tells. This is how many episodes. And the wife and I finally... Got to binge watch season three a week ago, and we had recorded this season's ones. Uh, there's four more episodes to air over like the next month, and now we're at the point where we're like, okay, so we got one to watch. Do we let the like the next few weeks go by? Because that's it's always fun to watch four or five. I mean, we've been now programmed to do that. On the other hand, there's been three or four series that the wife and I have absolutely loved. Never watched the last two episodes. Don't want it then. You know, yeah, yeah. so we've never watched the end of Chuck. We've never watched the end of. Uh, um, You've watched four ends of Chuck push, push, because yeah. every season was wrapped up there as if know. it were going to get canceled. It's true. Um, and then you know there was a there was a series called Pushing Daisies, which was great, and it, it, you know it was victim of. Um, it was a victim of the writer strike, the mm-hmm. last writer strike, and by the time it came back, it's, uh, anyway. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, the good place, the good place is, dude. It, it is, it is great. I mean, and you know what? I looked as I'm watching The Office. I'm what I'm, IMDbing everything, every episode. I'm looking at the trivia, and I love like gobbling up the behind the scenes stuff. And the guy who plays uh, Dwight's cousin Moses mm-hmm. is Michael Shore. The creator of the Good Place. Okay, you have in the and, and, and two Parks years and we've been doing this. You and, have just blown my mind. Yeah, in Parks, and like and he, was, he was a co-executive producer on The Office. He was executive producer on Parks and Rec. He was executive producer on The Good Place, and executive producer of oh, another big show. And it's slipping my mind right now, but yeah. So yeah, like that guy was. I had no fucking idea. Yeah, because he plays. Like this very quiet, simple, weird Psychotic. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Ooh, that's great. Um, now, now we're talking about The Office. Uh, so you're talking about Cheers yeah. with Ted Danson. I'm talking about The Good Place. You're talking about The Office with John Kaczynski. I watched season two of Jack Ryan. Right. Which is great. Yeah. John, you know? John Krasinski and... Uh, yeah, they got speaking it. about somebody. You know, oh sorry, go ahead. no, I, I was. But but he, till so the wife, the wife and the boys the other day finally watched The Quiet Place, which he wrote and directed and starred in with his wife. 
Emily Blunt. And he wrote and directed the second one. That's coming out You know, year. I mean, it's, so that's the thing. It's like, here's Jim from The Office, crazy Jim from The Office, who is, you know. Kicking ass and taking names. Right. So that was great. So I watched that. Um, and again, we're, we're going to do, you know, really soon a Star Wars, um, a Star Wars sideshow, a different one. Um, you know, talking about the timeline and the canon. I had never watched before, two weeks ago, Star Wars Rebels. Mm. Watch the entire four seasons <laughs> in the matter of about three to four days. Um, it's great. Uh, it has a lot of characters. It, it so it takes place, um, you know, it takes place in between um, the end of the first trilogy and New Hope. It takes place in that timeline. So there's a lot of people left over from the Clone Wars and stuff like that. So that's great. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, I watched the Six Underground, the movie on Netflix, um, and it is crazy. You got Ryan Reynolds doing this action film directed by Michael Bay for Netflix. I mean, that's how big Netflix has gotten, that this is a huge explosion, big cast, uh, major picture, you know, straight straight to them. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I Am Mother, I don't know if you heard about this one, but it's a... Uh, post-apocalyptic the human race is done and as a fail safe there's this secret location with embryos to repopulate the earth and it's it's when the earth ends this place turns on and a robot takes one of the embryos to raise it you know with the idea of okay once they raise this one it will raise the next one you know and start Mm -hmm. repopulating the earth it has a nice twist at the end. I don't know. It's right here. Uh, Isaac Asimov, but but I, I watched that. Another made for Netflix thing. Okay. You know, big budget. Let's see. Um, John Mulaney. Did, did you see John uh, the Mulaney's Sack Lunch, Lunch Bunch? Yes. Thoughts? I thought it was great. It uh, It's a parody of Sesame Street, uh, you know, late 70s, early 80s. Right zeroed in on when I grew up watching Sesame Street. Mulaney's a little bit younger than me. I think, right? I think he's only. I think he's in his late thirties or something like that. Right. Yeah, and um, yeah, it, it's it's a it's like an hour long type of show where he's on a street not unlike Sesame Street with a bunch of tweens talking about feelings and stuff and some dark issues. Um, and they 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 have a lot of musical numbers, and uh, yeah. And then I also watched the Comeback Kid. While I was on the Mulaney. I haven't seen the Comeback Kid. Oh, the uh, the Comeback Kid. The Comeback Kid. And uh, the well, Kid Gorgeous. Uh, Kid Gorgeous. The Comeback Kid one. Oh, wait. Maybe I watched Kid Gorgeous. I'm sorry. I watched Kid Gorgeous. That's the one with the, what is a horse doing in a hospital? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, comeback Kid was earlier. Comeback Kid is great. I, I, I don't know if I like that one better. Um, Kid Gorgeous. Comedy stand-up specials. Here's a mic. Here's a stage, tell some jokes. But the way he is dressed and the stylistic shooting of it and in a really grand old theater, it's 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 funny to say how beautifully shot that stand-up special is. Yeah, it's classy looking. It really is. I mean it's old Hollywood kind of feel and vibe right. to it, you know? I gave this college a hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and they have the audacity to send me a letter asking them. Asking me to give them more money. And I write back, I gave you $120,000. 
I'm not a John Mulaney, so I yeah, know it's pretty. It's I don't pretty know. The, I don't have the material. I don't have the chops. <laughs> um, I watched. Um, you so, know what? You should do stand up. <laughs> You're more of a stand up guy. Uh, see the duality of me being more of a stand up guy. Uh, so I, uh, 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 DC, the DC um, app there that has its own programming and stuff like that, uh, has launched a Harley Quinn show. Tried to watch it with my nine-year-old. Not made for a nine-year-old. You know, they have these things called ratings. They do, but and I didn't. TV, fuck you. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't look, so that's my bad. But, you I mean, they're pushing these. The funny thing is, so there's these, uh, I forget what it's called, but there's a show that's geared towards younger children. And let's be honest. It's not geared towards younger children. It's geared towards little girls. But... It is it is a little kid show with all the superheroes and the villains all teaming up. Very cutesy, you know, very like Nick Jr. type thing. Um, at the same time, they're launching Birds of Prey, the rated R movie. And this and this, so the animation is essentially the same. It looks the same. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll watch this. And within you didn't the notice first, the TV rating for the I, Harley I, Quinn I was a, no. a knife through a tit. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I missed that rating, Joe. <laughs> you think you think I would have noticed something like nope. that? <laughs> Parent of the year, apparently. Um, uh, and then just real quickly, because we'll move on. I watched. So there's a documentary on Amazon Prime now called Jacob. It's very short. It's just over an hour. It's about kind of not a famous, not a really famous person. What's it called? Jacob. Oh, uh, yeah, I said Jonah, but it's uh, called Jacob. Okay. So the guy, it's about your age, a little, mm. little older than you, between us. He's like, you know, a few years younger than me, a few years older than you. He has a doctor degree, a law degree from Harvard, a theater degree from like Hopkins University. He's like the second most degree person, but he uses all of his degrees. He is a I'm trying to think of what what he he's a touring lecturer but he's also an ER like he does regular shifts as an ER doctor he also does regular tours uh, a guest lecturer he's also a college professor who um runs classes at like NYU on um on medical ethics mm-hmm. and bioethics and stuff like that and it's really he's fascinating because he here, here, here's what the ethical thing is. Here is the correct ethical way to hear deal with this problem, that problem. Here's I don't. Here's how I would do it. Like, I, like this is the right way to do it. I would do it this way anyway. It's like the whole thing of like, you know, a doctor can save one patient, but if that patient dies, there's like five people who need emergency surgery. Who one needs a heart, one needs a kidney, one needs this, and if that person happens to pass away who's on life support anyways and it's going to be a vegetable for the next 20 years if that person passes away you can save these five other lives and the ethical thing is you can bring no harm to somebody you know and that's textbook ethically the right thing to do i'd save these five fucks in the other room you know but well, yeah he, but he does well, that's like the greater good the the, 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 need, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few well, he's he's also uh he also so, like, he tours around the country as a guest lecturer at colleges for, like, half a dozen different things. He's an ER doctor. He has a law degree. And so – but and all the people that they're talking to, like his friends and, and people that he works with cutting back and forth, 
he goes to get a job like teaching like creative writing at this smaller college in New York. And the guy's looking over his resume and he's like, oh, is this an outdated resume? Did you, you know? And he's like, no, it's up to date. He goes, yeah, but it says here you're going to Harvard Law School now. He's like, yep. Well, how can you come and teach in New York City? And go to, oh, he goes, I'll just go back and forth. It's like, isn't that a lot? He goes, I don't mind. He goes, but isn't, isn't Harvard Law like really demanding? No, not really. You know, and it's like, yeah. And so he does. So then he shows up at like, I forget what college it is. And there's a Pulitzer Prize winning um, playwright who is a professor at this college. And he's like, hey, can I sit in and take your class? Do you go to school here? No, but I think it'd be interesting. She's like, sure, go ahead. They've become friends over the last like 30, 20 years. She is his most accomplished student. He's had nine plays produced. He's had thousands of op-eds published in hundreds of periodicals all over the globe. He is a famous playwright, novelist, essayist. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Essayist and stuff like that. So literally, it's like one of those things. And then, just for fun, he is a licensed New York City tour guide. And, you know, part of this documentary, he's given a tour and like they go by Grant's tomb. And it's really funny that uh, I did not know this, that Grant died penniless. And like there's been laws to basically make it so no president because it was embarrassing that, you know, for a president. Uh, did you know that his wife is also buried at Grant's tomb, that there are two caskets in there? And it's like. So it should be Grant's apostrophe. Tomb. Thank you. It was like well, that, and then when somebody says, you know, who's buried in Grant's tomb? Say, yes. Do you? <laughs> you know, uh, But it's, it, you know. With the darkness of the cat killer stuff, there's also this out there. You it, asked me what I was watching. I, I know, I'm not saying it and that I said, way. I said I was fine with a brief synopsis of don't fuck with cats. And you said, no, please expand upon and, it for and, 10 and, more minutes. And I said, fine. And I'm glad that you did because now I have something to talk to my wife about later. Hey, have you watched this piece of awful? Because you like <laughs> awful. Uh, the, uh, the only other thing, and I know we're going way long. Uh, you know, we haven't done a podcast since December 14th. We recorded. Right. We have three weeks of um, yucks to catch up on. I watched this this movie. Movie? I think um, they're called uh, Talkies now. It's It was 1938, and it is called – like I'm, I keep getting the family name wrong. The Middleton Family at New York's Fair, New York's World Fair. Came out in 1938. Apparently, the people at Westinghouse had enough money to produce this infomercial, I guess you could call, but wrapped around a real music – and they were able to get Goebbels to take a break from writing propaganda <laughs> for the Nazis and come and write this. Wow. And it's all about how great Wessinghouse is and all the inventions that they were showing at the World's Fair. You know, So the dishwasher and this robot of the future. And the, they have this whole plot line. Mom, dad, and the, the, the little brother from Indiana come to stay with grandma for the World Fair who is housing their daughter who's in college there who falls in love with a college professor – who he loves everything about America. He came over when he was a young kid and they don't really say where he's from, but he's into Karl Marx. He's into art. He doesn't think machines should be taking people's jobs. It is the most xenophobic thing you've seen since a Trump rally, basically. And it's like, it's so blatantly 
you know, thank you know everybody go to church and thank everybody for the Westinghouse Corporation because they're making lives better, they're making factories safer, they're giving everybody jobs, and watch out for people with accents. <laughs> yeah, the the the, the 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 commies. It was really, 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 really good. And uh, and speaking of commies, the only it's not on here. Our friend Dan, uh, DanCray.net of Dan Cray and Dan Cray Beyond Ed, uh, he sent me this documentary all about McCarthy and McCarthy's rise to power. And McCarthy's lawyer, Roy, Co- uh, Roy um, Combs. Yeah. Roy Cohn? Uh, Cohn, thank you. I, when people talk about like everything that Roy Cohn did to make Trump a reality – they're not talking metaphorically that he's taking their playbook. I didn't realize he was his father's lawyer as well. So he went from McCarthy mm-hmm. to Trump's father and basically taught, you know, Donnie Fuckstick all the awful that he is rotting upon. So as we're watching these documentaries about how what a dark time the McCarthy scare was and all these dirty tricks that he had done, like like he came out waving a piece of paper, giving a fiery speech because he has the name of like, you know, 20 members of Congress who are actively part of the Communist Party. Blank piece of paper. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, like, and how many times has Donnie Fuckstick done the same thing? No, not with just one piece of paper. Remember the reams the of reams, paper? Yeah. The, yeah, the, the, the big stacks of paper. All, all, all. It's like, it's, it's awful. So, so we, um, Great. Yeah. So, so before we get into this week of awful, oh man, uh, are we going to do the week of awful? Well, we have to at least a little. Yeah, a little, a little awful. I'm going to ask you though. Can we talk about don't fuck with cats a little bit? more? I'm going to ask you. You know, if we can bring back defunct sponsors solely because without our defunct sponsors, sometimes I don't know companies don't exist anymore. (laughs) I was literally talking to a neighbor. You know, one of the moms the other day. I'm like. Little guy lost his shoes and we're going, oh, he has a play coming up. And he's going to have these shoes literally for three performances, which he's in like two songs for. And I don't want to spend money. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to go to Payless and buy the cheapest pair of shoes I can get. And return them. Can't do that. Payless doesn't exist anymore. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. I, I forgot. See? This is why, we, first of all, we need that sweet cold cash from the defunct sponsors. Secondly, how am I supposed to know people are, you know, companies, you know, are defunct yeah. without that? So you, you might you might have to rethink that. Okay, yeah, maybe. Since we've last talked, let's get it. Let's get into it just real quick. We'll blow through it. Since you, since we last talked, it's it's <laughs> it's official. He is an impeached president. It will be in the first line of his Wikipedia bio, you know, 50, 45th president of the United States, third president in history to be impeached. It will be in the first paragraph of his byline, um, you know, unless, of course, you know. He blows up the world. And then it's like there's nothing to. Uh, so we got that going for us. Um, you know, it, it's just a sham coming up, the Senate thing. We won't even talk about because it it's just too depressing because, you know, Mitch, Mitch, you know, Moscow Mitch is flat out said, yep. Yeah, there's going to be no trial. There's going to be no witnesses. Just send over the impeachment notification. We're just going, you know, and, and when Clinton got impeached, the two sides, it took about two or three weeks to come up with the rules of engagement for for the Clinton Senate impeachment trial. And keep this in mind. Um, 
the vote was 100 to nothing on what the rules would be. Complete bipartisanism. There was a vote. Every person who had testified, including President Bill Clinton, did so under oath in the, in, in the House hearing. It, you know, so when the impeachment thing was sent over, so some Republicans are saying, oh, well, you know, they didn't have call witnesses in the Senate hearing. No, but they have the sworn testimony of everybody. Everybody did it under oath. And now John Bolton, who he's a smart guy. I mean, he's been in politics and, and has stayed in the highest echelon of politics for, you know, 30 years. He's not a dumb guy, was getting a lot of shit about I'm not going to come to the house and testify, but I, I am writing a book and he wrote a book and he got backlash. It's like, Oh, so you're only an American and Patriot telling your story if you're getting paid for a book. So after the house closed their investigation and getting ready to turn over the Senate, knowing the Senate will not call him now says, Oh, I'll testify if they call me. It's like, Oh, so, you know, but the one, the one thing that John Bolton has wanted for absolutely ever as a war with Iran, and maybe to keep him from testifying and shut up. But Joe, we're at war with Iran. Excited about that? Are we though? Yes, we are. But are we? Yes, we are. True, but think about it. <laughs> are we? Well, let's see. Uh, we, you know, we assassinated. You know, basically, we shot the Archduke Ferdinand a couple weeks ago, uh-huh. and so we assassinated and and. We're not, we're not going to get all inches. By the time this get past, everybody hurt Rachel Maddow a thousand times. But it's true. We assassinate somebody who's a bad dude, but we did it without cause, you know, without like, we, we, you know, the story of why we assassinated him has changed like four times in the last week. He went from eminent threat to he did a bunch of shit a while ago. To he was going to bomb an embassy. To he was going to bomb embassies. Mm-hmm. And even, look, this is the first time I remember in the presidency. A bunch of senators, or a couple senators, uh, I think it's Mike Lee from Utah and Rand Paul, you know, Rand Paul's a piece of shit, came out of the hearing saying, or, or, or Mike Lee from Utah. From the briefing. The briefing saying, this is the biggest bullshit briefing. I've been here for nine years, which meant he's been there for most of the Obama administration. Uh, this is the most, you know, so he was in the Obama briefings when Obama had drone strikes, when Obama, you know, killed bin Laden mm-hmm. and saying flat out, this is bullshit. This is just. And then when the, the people in the briefing started asking the people questions, they just got up and left. They couldn't answer the questions. So we assassinated somebody just to assassinate him. Bad dude. Yeah. But you can't just go. I mean, 2019, I guess you can. I guess I was going to say you just can't go around. Routinely killing, you know, heads of state if you want to. Well, at least they're giving like daily press conferences. Oh, yeah. And then keeping everybody up to date. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, and of course the tragedy is like, you know, a few days later, Iran, you know, and I, when Iran bombed the Iraqi airport bases, they gave heads up. They're like, hey, this is going to happen. I think so they just yelled four. Is that what it did? Uh, and so, and in and, and the midst of that, a commercial airliner accidentally was shot, you know, by the Iranians. Um, unintentionally, according to Iran. Of, well, it, it was unintentional. They thought it was a missile coming because it took off from one of their own airports with 50-some of the brightest engineering students that Iran has on their way to the Ukraine going back to school. 
So they're on their way back to Canada. No, no, the Ukrainian, right? So well, a lot of the, some of them were going back to Canada. So, so there was, there was. I won't get the number right. Mm. There was 175 people on the flight, including the crew. Right. 130 of them were connecting to Toronto after a stop in in, in the Ukraine, and the rest of them were. And, and and so it was. There was like some 56 Canadian citizens, but then there was a bunch of other nationalities headed back to Toronto, but. A good number of the people on the plane were Iranian college engineering students. Mm. We know some of the aspirations Iran have. They're not going to shoot their own college students out of the sky. They were trigger happy. You know, well, and, but that they want trigger happy slash high alert. Look, we just bombed. You know, you um, think you? I don't want to tell a country how to run itself, <laughs> but you think if there were going to be shooting down. Everything in the sky around a certain area. You think they tell the planes not to take off? You think? You think there was maybe a breakdown in communication you there? Know, uh, I mean, I'm not blaming Iran completely for. Uh, I'm not saying that they did this out of malice or whatever, but you, you know, I, I, hey, you know what? Dumbs the brakes, I guess. But you know, we started it, so our well, blood's on our hands. It is. I believe it was completely unintentional. Um, it took the, it took Iran a couple of days to say, "Yeah, we did this." But it was after the world came out, and like all the experts from every country, it's like, "Yeah, planes don't break up with that because of a fire. Planes leave this kind of, you know, this forensic footprints that right. There's, shr- like there's shrapnel on the uh, on the wreckage that is indicative of of some sort of projectile going into the plane. So, so it is horrible. I I, I really don't believe in it. You know, it was intentional for them to shoot it down and then say, "Well, this is on your hands." But it is; it is on our hands. Um, so, what? Where? What do you think it goes from here? Do you think it's uh, we wait for another strike from Iran to uh, an American base or embassy? Or do well, we, I mean, it's not like the Iranians to let things go. It's not like Americans to well, let things well, go. Well, the, so the Iranians turned around and, and said that, okay, we're even. You you did this, and it's not even. It was it was it was. Yeah. You can't say it was a vice president, but it was a set. It was it was, it was a general. It was, well, it was the supreme leader's right hand guy. Right. So you want to say that Mike Pence is the second most important person in Trump's orbit? You know what I mean? This this would be, you know, mm-hmm. but but he they don't change leaders every four years or eight years there. So this has been the right hand guy for thirty years. So it's it's pretty. The thing is, uh, again. Um, you know what, what? What is scary is in the midst of all of this. As this was ratcheting up, the United States. You remember the last podcast we did? How the Republicans accidentally sent out the talking points to all the Democrats and all the news outlets and said, "Oh, can you please send it back? Can you ignore what we just sent you?" Yes. Our military accidentally two weeks ago sent out a memo. Saying, yep, we're getting ready to pack up and get out of Iraq or Iran. I'm sorry, Iraq. I get confused. Mm-hmm. We're getting out of Iraq. And then they say, no, no, that was just a draft letter in case something happened. We were just preparing. It was accidental. Well, the Iraqis, fun fact, have since turned around and said, yes, we would officially like – they've officially this past week asked Mike Pompeo to come over to start discussing getting the fuck out of here, um, get off our lawn. And Mike Pompeo said, no, we're not going. We'll go, we'll go talk to them. We're not leaving. 
the the we can't occupy the country. Like we are there as a courtesy. We stayed behind. We withdrew a lot of troops. We we kept some forces behind under the auspice. We're training them to protect themselves, so we don't have to be there. We're we're there to support them. And at any time you want us to leave, we're going to leave. Now we're saying no. We're not leaving. Officially saying flat out, no, we're not leaving. So, what did um, Donnie Two Scoops say on the news to Laura Ingram uh, recently? That there was an, he went on and said an, <clears throat> he did an interview with Laura Ingram on Fox News, basically saying we that the U.S. military is there to just sort of take the oil. Well, and I'm, and and she's like, no, we're not taking the oil because that would be a war crime. We're there to. We're 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 minding the oil. Well, we're we're minding we're minding the uh, we're overseeing the the best interests of of the oil fields. What what it was most scary about the time we're living in is he is living up. Let's give credit where credit's due. Okay, he is living up to campaign promises. He said when he was campaigning. The victor goes to spoils. That that he one hundred percent adamantly and never walked it back feels yeah, George Bush fucked up because we didn't take, take all their, their oil. oil. Right. That Obama fucked up because we didn't take their oil. We only raped. We didn't pillage. And, and that's 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 <laughs> so so and, and even back then, even even all the people like the Lindsey Grahams of the world came out like, Yeah, that's a war crime. You can't do that. Now it was our last podcast or the podcast before that. We talked about the the Navy SEAL who everybody in his unit, every person to a man testified against this fucker for committing war crimes. The general that commanded this guy testified against him. He was sent to jail for committing war crimes. And not only was he pardoned by the president, he was pardoned and now is going and leading chants at his rallies. He is applauding that he is making a hero for this war criminal. You know, so when I say credit where credit's due, he is living up to his campaign promise of war crimes. He had, you know, you can't go and execute heads of state in other countries. You know, uh, uh, all willy-nilly like that. Well, well, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, when we assassinated Osama bin Laden, it's like, yes, he was on the hit list. Like, we, it was well documented that, you know, all of these Taliban, you know, targets were high value targets and we're actively going after them. We weren't actively going after Suleiman for, I mean, the bad shit he's done before. Uh, Soleimani was Soleimani. a member of the Uni- Iraq, the Iranian government. Right. Osama bin Laden was not part of any government. No. He was not a government <laughs> official. He was a terrorist right. on his own. And and he was Saudi national, and the Saudi said, yep, we understand you're trying to kill him. And we knew he was living in Afghanistan, and the Afghanis were like, yeah, we understand you're trying to kill him. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, he was he was a rogue agent. Um, he Apples was, and oranges. People are going crazy but, trying but to compare Soleimani to o- Osama bin Laden. Right. And you just can't. You can't. And no, so there's no justifying it. But 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 that's the thing. It's like all of these things that we're talking about, uh, you know, one party is is applauding. And and now they're playing look, after nine eleven, you know, George Bush had comp blanche to do anything because speaking out against anything was un-American and they're doing the same thing. You know, you had a senator go on national TV and say the Democrats love terrorists. 
I'm not paraphrasing. Flat out, they love terrorists. Um, and every you know Democrat has said he's a really bad dude. World's probably a better place without him. However, you can't assassinate heads of state unless you're Joe Biden, who wants to wait for all the facts to come in. You know, yeah. When he went on Twitter and what's wrong with him, dude? I I just hope. Look, you know what's happening. It's, what is he? We got four more years of Trump coming, don't we? We really do. The, the the more the more I see this, the more we do. And you know, and and you know, it doesn't matter. It's like. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what he does. The Republican Party is going to one hundred percent back him. Like they keep talking about, you need three senators to say we want witnesses. Name the three senators: Susan Collins, who always comes out and says, "Well, I'm not sure I'm going to vote for Brett Kavanaugh." Votes for Brett Kavanaugh. I'm not sure I'm going to, you know, authorize this. Authorize this. That. Like she, literally grandstands for a couple days, a couple weeks saying, you know, she might swing this way because Maine is a funky place, you know, and, and then quietly just does whatever and then falls in line. You know, you keep so, so here's this guy. Here's this guy. Mike Lou from Utah. Rand Paul, Rand Paul from Virginia um, saying that this hearing was complete bullshit. Right. Well, a week later, you can stand up and say, hey, I'm not saying I'm going to acquit him, but let's have a fair trial. Let's have witnesses. Let's have John Bolton come in. Let's have John Bolton come in on, under oath. Let's get a statement from the president because not only did Bill Clinton testify, they drew blood. They literally put a needle in his arm and took blood as part of the investigation. And here you're barring witnesses. So you do you have three people who are going to put party – Ahead of country. And if it's a 50-50 vote, um, Mike Pence has to. He, he, I think he legally has to. Not just ethically has to. I think he legally has to um, withdraw from being the tie-breaking vote because of conflict of interest. Because if you impeach and remove the president. You become the president. So I don't believe so, by the letter of the law he would be able to be the tie-breaking vote. So you need three and, senators. Well, it goes, to the House, it goes to the Senate Majority Leader, right? No. If it's a 50-50 thing, it goes to the Vice President or I believe well, who, right, but if the Supreme Court. Okay. The, 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 the Roberts on the Supreme – not Roberts um, – is it Roberts? Uh, uh, the Supreme Court, he would be the deciding you know, vote. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, it's all fucking a sham and awful. But yes, he's going to be president again. I, 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 right. It, it hurts. Right. It hurts because my everybody, stomach. All the Democrats are like, you know, the, oh, my person did get in, so I'm not voting. Um, or I, uh, uh, but, you and, know, and of course, the Electoral College, which is another thing. So at, the, it, at his rally just the other night, you know, they had the locker up chant. The same day. Now, we know that William Barr is, is his Ray Combs. He, you know, 100%. Yeah. His Ray Combs. Ray, uh, Roy, Ray, Roy, Roy. Ray, Ray, Ray Combs was the Family Feud host that hung himself. Roy Cohn. Thank you. Is the... Thank you for both those fun <laughs> facts. Um, but under William Barr, Hillary Clinton, again, this week was exonerated 100%. And the findings, this is the fourth investigation that has been closed around the same bullish, you know, bullshit. Uh, was there some lapse in judgment? Maybe. Yes. Was there lapse in judgment? Yes. Was there lapse in, 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 in following protocol. procedure, protocol? You know, because people get confused. 
you know, people get confused. It's like laws were changed after she left the office. So it's not like pot is now legal in Massachusetts. Guess what? They didn't go to the jail that day and let everybody who had been arrested the last 30 years on pot crimes out of jail. So people are saying, oh, well, she broke the law. The law says this. It's like the law says this after she was three years after she was not secretary of state anymore. You can't retroactively change the law and then go back and say, oh, had anyways. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, but not one person, not one person, not Hillary Clinton, nobody in her campaign, and nobody under her in her, you know, in her State Department who worked directly for her have even been charged with any criminal thing, nor will they be charged. Again, this is the fourth investigation open and closed under Republicans, you know, because they, they did. They've tried, like Sessions tried. You know, everybody has tried. The evidence hasn't changed, but they're still going with the locker up thing. Although there are six people in, you know, in jail, you know, right now, and Mike Flynn, you know, waiting to go. So that that's just, that's awful. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Do you got a self indulgent theater that you've been working on the last four weeks? I haven't been thinking about this podcast in the last. You few have. Weeks. You've been thinking about it. You've been thinking, oh, thank God, I don't have to do the podcast <laughs> this week. I don't have to see Jacques. Okay, so we're going to talk sport, really. Um, I, 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 I can't say certain words, um, but I will say for certain that the, that the dynasty is done as we know it. Um, I'm surprised. I'm shockingly not as crushed as you would be. Uh, all good things come to an end. I am internally and, and forever grateful to the crafts, to Tom Brady and to Bill Belichick for what they did. I will say, and I've said it all season long, I said it in the off season. Um, we've been saying it for two years, the countdown to hating Brady with the TB12 and his, his Scientology method towards life. Um, the absolute... Never-ending off-field drama bullshit and on-field bullshit the past year has made the franchise I've loved more than anything my entire life so less likable. And, you know, I'm not going down the whole thing, you know, but the last game, 16-point favorite to a team that 13-3 and who shouldn't have won the game because it knocked them down three spots in the draft pick. Not only did they not have anything to play for, they had every reason to lose 16-point underdog win. But before that, you know, I, I had sent uh, Joe a screen grab. There was one of the pregame local shows had like, you know, five, six things. It's like, what was the biggest dist- off-field distraction for the Patriots this season? You know, Robert Kraft at the massage parlor, Tom Brady mocking the massage parlor on the Netflix show, um, signing Antonio Brown, cutting Antonio Brown, Josh Gordon. Uh, I'm trying to think there was a couple other. Dude, what the fuck? Like literally, even though they were quote unquote, there, there was no, there was no correlation or link between football operations and this. This was a crap production shooting a documentary that made a stupid editorial decision. Had nothing to do with Bill Belichick and football. That's what the NFL has come out and said. The NFL has also come out and said, "Yeah, we're still gonna, you know, penalize." No, we're still football operation had nothing to do with this. But Robert Kraft 
owns a football team. Robert Kraft owns a production entity. We can't fine or take away a draft pick from the production entity. Uh-huh. We're taking away, we're punishing Robert Kraft this way. And like I said, you know, all the fucking sons of bitches who went to that last game, I hope none of them got pulled over for drinking and driving on the way home from Gillette Stadium because the NFL would take a draft pick away from the Patriots if somebody gets pulled over, you know, wearing a Patriots jersey for DUI. But, but you know, it's one of those things. Yeah, you should get fined. You should lose a draft pick. The utter stupidity and arrogance and the way this has unfolded. And, you know, so Joe and I, you know, sadly watched, you know, Rome burn the last game. And it was everything they could do to be awful. I mean, it's just and, – and I'm not, I'm not happy to see it end. But I think it's done, and I say, you know, so we've already lost. Uh, uh, as of the taping of this podcast, it's not official. But um, Josh McDaniels and his running up the middle on first down with Phony Michelle is going uh, is taking his uh, talents to Cleveland. Mm. Um, you know, and the and the thing is, Cleveland has Baker Mayfield, who's in, going into year three of his five year rookie contract. I'm not saying they should give up on him. Uh, I'm also not saying Tom Brady isn't playing for Cleveland next year. It was very – we talked about this. How much How much did OBJ openly – Has how many times have OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr., said he wants to play with Tom Brady? He wants to come here. He wants to play. You know, he gave him his shoes after the game in front of Baker Mayfield. And that, there's that great picture of, like, Baker Mayfield looking on, like – Dude, I've been your teammate for four months and you've not like, you know, picked up my lunch and here you are flaunting over this guy. Um, you know, for Tom, and here's the other thing. You think Cleveland gives a fuck about Sony Antonio Brown in the offseason? You think you think Antonio Brown literally won't play for league minimum, but will say, yeah, I'll play for a reduced rate. I'll sign a one-year contract. I'll sign a two-year contract to get my shit together and go win a Super Bowl. I mean, either way, you already have Odell Beckham there. Cleveland has a good defense. You know, they had a shitty coach. They have an, a vastly overrated quarterback. If Tom Brady's going to go somewhere, here's the, th- here's the big thing about Tom Brady going somewhere. Uh, when Peyton Manning did it at the end of his career, he went to the team that had unarguably the best defense in football. And in fact, when, when Peyton Manning won his Super Bowl with Denver, it's the last time it happened and it was the first time it happened in maybe 20 years that the MVP of the Super Bowl was a defensive player. You know, so for Super Bowl 50 was one on the back of defense. He was strictly a game manager. I don't think in any playoff game Peyton Manning threw a ball more than five or ten yards. It was all checkdowns. It was little stuff. It was don't fuck up. You know, don't turn the ball over. You know, we just got to score 16, 17 points and we're out of this. You know what I mean? We just have to do that. And that's. You think Brady will take that sort of mentality? Well, I, I, I do because Brady doesn't. I mean, we've seen it. I don't. I'm not saying Brady's gone over the cliff. I am saying, you know, we saw as the season progressed, how much his balls were sailing over people. His deep balls weren't accurate. Now, maybe there wasn't separation. He's forcing things into the wrong places. I've apologized for him all year. He didn't have receivers. He didn't have any tight ends. The running game was a joke, and his offensive line was was criminal. It's almost criminal what what you were giving him. The fact that they wound up 12-4 and is a credit to him. I don't think any quarterback – 
Mahomes wouldn't be twelve and four here. You know, uh, nobody. I think. I think what he did with the least amount of talent around him. I think he looks at this and says, "What's different next year?" Like the the rookie wide receivers I have, are they going to take a big step forward next year? Is Jules? going to be healthy and take a step forward or have we seen Jules as good as he's going to get you know what are we doing with our running game Sony are we getting rid of Sony Michelle I mean he's going into his third year I mean is Devlin coming back probably not and, and how much would Devlin two years later help in the running game does he look like what are we doing at tight end are we going to you know how much he doesn't like rookies I mean here's the thing also, and, and and the people who are on the Rob Gronkowski thing, he's he's not Rob Gronkowski anymore. He's not. He is Rob Gronkowski. He's not Gronk. People forget he was not good his last season. You look at his last season. His last catch in Kansas City was fucking money. It was a almost a career defining catch. I mean, it wasn't a touchdown. It wasn't. He caught a twenty yard pass and literally threw five people off of him running the next twenty yards, like we've seen. It was an amazing catch which won that game in Kansas City. It got us down to the goal line, run it in and win. He had, I want to say, two or three catches in the Super Bowl, a five-yarder, a 10-yarder, but late in the fourth quarter, he came back to the ball, went to the ground, and made a catch You know, um, that resulted in a field goal, but it was an amazing catch. People remember the last two catches of his career, the last catch in the Super Bowl, last catch in the FC thing. The rest of that year, we were like, He's in single coverage. You know, I mean, he wasn't freeing up Jules to be open or White to be open because he was doubled. That said, a year off or 18 months off by the time he plays, well, Gronk was also very open. Yeah, he wasn't coming back because of Bill Belichick. He, well, he, was, it's, he wasn't having fun playing here. Does he go where Tom goes? Is it a package deal? Here's the, and I said I wasn't going to talk much about this, and I apologize. Um, no, you don't. Not really. But I, I apologize to myself because I don't even want to talk about this. This, this is the only – I promised we, myself I wouldn't gab. Well, since we left the bar, I haven't mentioned this. I haven't even talked to the family oh, about no, it. I haven't so mentioned the pus it. is just coming out of the boil right, right. now. Right. Oh, no. I haven't mentioned it. No, but here's the thing. A 43-year-old – I want to say game manager without it being insulting. He's still he's still a great quarterback. He can still we saw him. Um, does he want to learn, learn a new system? Does he want to go somewhere where the offense is has to completely change to accommodate him? And maybe not. I mean, is he going to go somewhere with a great running game and a good line and a couple good receivers? Or is it more probable? He's going to go where Josh is. He has been in Josh's system. You know, he was in Josh's system for five years. Then Josh went away, and then he came back, and he's been in Josh's system. Ten of the last 15 years of Tom Brady's career, he's been in tandem. He talks more with Josh, you know, than he does Bill. And so if Josh is going to Cleveland, again, with a very good defense— the best wide receiver in football, no baggage about bringing Antonio. Antonio Brown would, if Tom calls him and says, hey, come play here, sign for two million bucks, get your shit together. You know what I mean? It's like, does Cleveland has the money under the cap? Hmm. And, and, and do they give up on Baker Mayfield? Or do they say, yeah, you know, Baker, you're going to sit on the bench for a year and, and develop? Or 
does he go somewhere? Do they do they release him? Because I don't think he's the quarterback of the future for Cleveland. Yeah. Um, hmm. I don't know. And if Josh says, "Look, Tom, I'll give you a three year contract, twenty million a year." It's not the thirty million you could probably make somewhere else, but I'm offering you a three year contract of twenty million dollars a year starting tomorrow. Now, is it a deal or isn't it? Oh, okay, Mr. Daniels. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, no, no, this is all wrong. I don't need twenty four hours. I know what my answer is now, and it's no, no. Gosh darn it! You sit around here and you spin your webs. Keep going. And you think the whole world revolves around you? Well, it doesn't, Mr. Daniels. In the vast configuration of things, I would say you're nothing but a scurvy little spider. And that goes for you, too. <laughs> and it goes for you, too. Oh, where is it? Where is it? Hold on. Oh. A little late, a little late, a little late. A little rusty. Anyway, um, yeah, so I, I feel bad for all those Cleveland Brown fans that have to put up with a washed-up quarterback. Right. And washed another Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah, just like all washed up. Basically, the rest of America thinks that Tom Brady's all washed up. He's got nothing, nothing left in the tank. Oh, he's a free agent. We wouldn't mind him being a washed-up quarterback on our team. So he's he's going to go some. He's going to go someplace he can win now. Peyton Manning went to Denver. He was here for two years. Went to the AFC title game. Went to the Super Bowl. Um, the defense was in place. They had some good pieces on offense. I remember being stunned that he went there because of the, because of his shoulder situation or his neck situation. And you could see it. He can't play in the cold. Like Peyton Manning's career in the cold was dismal. And you could see he was benched twice during that season. Um, he got hot at the right time. Fun fact, the, the Super Bowl's played indoor. You know, I mean, there's all these things that went into it. I think Tom, I think Tom goes. I think it's at this point, and we've always talked about it. Brady wants to win without Bill. Bill wants to win without Brady. Um, they they both know um, Bill would win. Bill would have won a few Super Bowls here with Matt Castle. He would have won a few Super Bowls here with a pedestrian quarterback, like not, not the top 10, but not the bottom 10. He would have won a couple Super Bowls. Brady, given the chance, you know, with a good, with a good coach in another city, probably would have had an amazing career together. You know, it's, and like, like I always, like I always say from 1970 to, to John Lennon's death in 1980, John Lennon had a fucking hell of a career. Um, 1970, 1980, Paul McCartney had a hell of a career. So did Ringo Starr. I mean, Ringo Starr had half a dozen hits, all written either by John Lennon or Paul McCartney. And Harrison, you know, George Harrison had a very, very, very great music career. All four of them, you know, stood out in the decade of the 70s. They weren't the fucking Beatles. You know, you take everything that they did individually, they weren't the Beatles. And the argument now is it's it's forty it's forty nine point nine to fifty point one. Is that fifty point one Bill or is that fifty point one Tom? And they both want to put their head on the pillow when it's all said and done, saying, Man, he was great to work with. I wouldn't have done this. But it was a little more me than it was him. And you're right, is it McCartney Lennon or Lennon McCartney? Right. 
And so I really think, you know, Bill says to himself, no, we're not giving a 43-year-old $25 million because I got four free agents on defense. I got to keep three of them. I can take a rookie quarterback, you know, making four or five million a year, and he can do 75% of what Tom can do. But that, that money is going to keep my defense together. These rookie receivers are now sophomore receivers. You know, Jules might be, you know, healthier. Maybe, you know, and he's saying to himself, it's like, look, I, I can, you know, in, in, I need to win 10 games, 11 games. Can I win 10, 11 games? You know, with a five million dollar, you know, backup quarterback and a great defense, and you know, get to the playoffs. And as we've seen, lots of things can happen. So that's what I think. You know, so I'm done talking that. I'm not going to talk Patriots for a long time. It really hurts. Next week, no, done. Unless something happens, but I was going to say, you know, even on Twitter, I've unfollowed every sports blog. Like I, I haven't muted the word because I'm. Not really sure if I know how to mute <laughs> things, but I, I pretty much have blocked all the sports stations, all of this stuff on my feet, so it doesn't come up. It's almost all Batman at this point. Uh, now, I don't mean to break Steve Cole's heart. Steve Cole's been a big part of the podcast. The uh, the Red Sox cheating scandal. How 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 into that are you? Oh, I know about the call signs. Uh, the, the, the 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 yeah, Alex Cora and reading the. the well, remember how. A couple months ago, the Science pitching stealing. the pitching the pitching coach for the Houston Astros on his way out the door said, "Oh, by the way, we've been stealing signals." Right. That's how we won the World Series. Cora was with the Astros. Cora was with them, yeah. and then the next year, you know, come here, and again, like you know, a friend of mine asked me about this, and I, you know, on baseball, how much does how much does stealing signals really help? And couldn't hoy. But that's the thing. It's so it, you know. A pitcher's mound is 60 feet, 6 inches from home plate. You got a pitcher who's 6'4", you know, so when his arm extended in full rotation, I mean, he's throwing it from, what, 52 feet away, something like that, and it's a fastball coming at 95 miles an hour. I mean, your reaction time, just knowing it's going to be a fastball versus a changeup, you know, I mean, you have, you have like 0.05 seconds to decide to swing or not. Does this give you zero point? Zero eight seconds. I mean, it doesn't make a difference. Any any edge helps, I guess. And and I lied. I will. I, so this is how with Spygate. Oh no no. When Spygate happened, Robert Kraft asked Bill Belichick, "How much does this help?" And Belichick has always said, "Maybe one percent." And Robert Kraft allegedly said, "You're a fucking idiot for all, all, losing a number one draft pick and a million dollar fine." For one percent, it's it is fucking stupid. I will say this: there are about eighty plays run per football game. Eighty, ninety plays run per football game. Does that one percent come in on a second and four from the thirty in the first quarter, or does that one percent come in third and three from the seven? In the fourth quarter, and you you pick up a first down, you got four more pokes to put in the end zone, or on defense, does that does that one percent come in on that one specific play, and now you're kicking, you making a team kick a field goal late in the fourth quarter versus scoring a touchdown? I mean, it's only one percent. 
But if that one percent means one play in the game, which one play is it? So it's the stealing signs. Um, I don't follow baseball. Um, I, I, you know, I happy for my friends and family who love the Sox and does it. Um, I, I don't think the league comes in. It's not like when an NCAA team gets caught up in a scandal and they take away a national title. It's like, well. No, yeah. <laughs> you know, those players still have those rings. They don't go around to the 60 guys on the roster and 20 years later say, you have to give back that championship ring and we have to take those memories out of your head. They kind of did that with the Black Sox. Did they? Did they take the... Didn't they? I don't remember. Don't they? I wasn't there. <laughs> Couldn't they? I, I, no, they wouldn't. I, I, you know. Wouldn't they? Should they? Are they? I don't care. So that's enough for sport. Okay. We usually move on to TV. I think we're covered. Yep. I think we're... Video games. Uh, what am I doing? Not been much. four weeks. What did you get for Christmas? Sad. Did you get me... Did you get me, did you get me Beat Saber? What's Beat Saber? It's that lightsaber 3D game or virtual reality game. I don't have where, VR. Well, why not? I told you I couldn't get it and I expected <laughs> you to. Sorry. I didn't get VR this year. I just got Grand Theft Auto Five. I bought for myself. Haven't opened it yet because the PlayStation Four is in the living room where my wife watches television, and I'm not going to play, um, you know, stealing cars and, and and banging hookers in front of uh, the misses or the kids in my basement. You haven't been there in a while. Is kind of chilly. Is it? You know, it's a, it's fifty something degrees down there. What if I came back? What if we start doing the podcast at your house again with all these hot takes? <laughs> would, would that would that warm it up? It might, but it might. Um, so I, I Luigi's Mansion Three. I think I've been playing. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's all right. Yeah, no, no, no. I haven't been playing a lot of video games lately. Um, Who are you? What have you done with Joe? I don't know. We'll see what happens. We'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, but I know you're not playing any video games. No, so. we, we're still locked down. We're three weeks away from games allegedly coming back. Mm. Uh, there, you know, with the therapist and, and the basically life coach and all that stuff, there's going to be very strict sets of rules. Uh, I'll be honest, Joe. I'm, uh, I'm rooting for the kid to be able to get him back and keep his shit in check. On the other hand, I haven't missed them being here. I mean, honestly, it's like the amount of production I've been able to do, you know, work-wise and other things and other aspects of life. It's like, yeah, uh, yeah I've, I've done more stuff. And, and yeah, there's sometimes I'm like, you know, you know, management and the kids are in bed or, or whatever. And for whatever reason, I have like a free night. And there's been times like, yeah, I could throw in Resident Evil 2 or 7 or 5 or replay the Batman ones and, you know, listen to, you know, Modest Mouse for the next couple hours. Or I can go to bed and get up and go to the gym in the morning. So yeah. I know. Yeah, right. Like you probably should save video games for special occasions like when Resident Evil 3 comes out, you know. Uh, by the way, it's CES Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas, they announced the PlayStation, they teased the PlayStation 5 logo, which is identical to the PlayStation 4 logo. So, um, but there's no new, I don't think, there's not a lot of new information on the PlayStation 5, although I guess it's coming out next year. And um, so that will be exciting to see. Um, 
Did you watch the Power Glove documentary that I on on uh, Amazon Prime? I know I did not. I um I think I've seen enough Power Glove documentaries yeah, in my you YouTube saw. viewing. It was okay. I mean, I don't think that, like I said, I don't think there was any information. And, you know, long story short, it probably was originally a YouTube show that made it to Amazon. That's what ha- that's what's happening now is YouTube series yeah. are now going to Amazon. Well, this was a, this had the actual creators. It went back to here's the first version of the glove that this company was developing to do electronic music, and this guy partnered with this guy. Who was trying to do virtual? It walked through the his, the real history, and it had the actual guys who created the technology behind it. And it, it, I'm telling you know you something you already know. Spoiler alert! Uh, essentially, the glove was released a year before it should have been. Like you know, it, it sounds fun. It sounds like the dream job. But one guy was tasked of going back to the at then 250 games, being able to beat all the games and try to find a way to make the glove work with existing games because the games that they had in development that were meant to go with the glove weren't going to be ready for a while. Yeah, Mattel, Mattel was the company that they sold it to. I think, I think I actually saw a documentary on the Power Glove by the gaming historian on YouTube. Um, so anyways, for those of you who don't know, in a stupid Nintendo Entertainment System had an accessory called the Power Glove, which was a glove that had a controller on it and also interacted with an infrared sensor that you attached to your TV that was supposed to be a kind of a, a, um, a motion control, if it, as it were, for the Nintendo Entertainment System, where you could make Mario run by moving your hand slightly to the right, make him jump by flicking a finger or whatever... Uh, it turns out it was all bullshit. It was terrible. But they sold it to Mattel, and the person at Mattel, I guess they played one of the demo games that they had developed for it. And the, pre- the president of the game, it's a, it's a punch-out game. And they give the demo, and she's like, well, I want to try it. And the guy who was doing the demo was like, he didn't think the glove was going to work this well that day, but it happened to be a good day, and he was able to make it do what it was supposed to do. And then she's like... Oh, I want to try it. And they're like, you're a girl. It, it's Well, it's really hard <laughs> to make it work properly. And the guy who does it every day, who's developed it, knows, yeah, you can turn your wrist this way, but you really should do it this way because it's kind of quirky. And she threw one punch, knocked the guy out, got overexcited, said, we're buying this right fucking now. Right. Like, literally, he, she said those were her words. Said everybody out in the hall on her team to talk about what they were going to offer. But they're like... Everybody out in the hall, we're buying this right fucking now. Yeah. So it was sort of like a kismet kind of thing. Um, but yeah, and then of course it gained its most popularity by making an appearance in the Nintendo commercial movie The Wizard. where Starring? Starring Fred Savage, where <clears throat> they, um, he has an autistic brother who wants to go to California. And then they, they long story short, they run into... They're on their way to the video game championships called Video Game Video Armageddon. Because surprisingly, the autistic brother happens to be a game wizard. Right. <laughs> it's it basically it's Tommy with video with Nintendo, um, and they run into this other group of kids who are also competitive video game players. But this kid, oh god, I, I my my eighties and nineties card is thrown out the window because I can't think of the kid's name who owns the power glove in the movie. Um, but he's the big bad. He's like the bad guy. 
and uh, they he he pulls out the power glove that's encased in like a f- one of those like you know uh, instrument you know hard instrument cases where you open it up and it's foam lined. Pulp Fiction, <laughs> right? With the, the case that Marcellus, yes, Marcellus Wallace's suitcase, and out comes the power glove, and he plays the Brad Racer, the racing game with the power glove, and he's you know topping the high score. And then the kids are blown away watching him play with the power glove. Ends the game, turns around, and says to the kids and the camera, I love the power glove. It's so bad. It was literally a big budget commercial. Mm-hmm. And that's where the power glove gained its most notoriety. So they ship, they ship the glove, and it has the Nintendo seal of approval. And there's 78,000 you know, power gloves Sitting in storage, just got unloaded from the uh, from the ship from China, and Nintendo says we're not fucking approving this, and they had to scramble, go up to Nintendo USA up in I believe it was Seattle, yeah, and give a presentation, and and you know, you know, basically they were like, yeah, we can't get it to work, and we don't understand the manual, and the guy who develops is like, oh, well, yeah, the manual is hard to read, and Nobody knows that you have to program the glove before you can't take it out of the box, put it on, and and do it. It has to be calibrated for you. All the so he comes up with the idea of this poster. Anyways, mm-hmm. the biggest problem was it the games that were available weren't designed for this glove to work. Had Mattel said, "Let's look. We want to sell a shitload of these. Let's wait." Till the games are ready for this, it probably it might have been a success. Who knows? Right. Um, it it was a very 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 successful failure. I mean, the first year they made like something. It was a, the biggest. It was the biggest profit margin they had ever had on anything at the time. Yeah. I mean, it sold through the roof. Yeah. Right. And then it was a colossal like, oh my god, this is not working. You know, this, <laughs> this is not. This is a piece of shit. And now it's in collectors' uh, hands all over the well, world. There's one collector who wears one every day, and he's a famous person in the, like the Nintendo world and mm-hmm. stuff like. Like, there was a small symphony, like let's say a ten piece thing, that was doing the music from Zelda Three at some gaming store for like a big conference. And this guy, you know, was one of the people who waited out overnight for like three nights to get a good spot and the. And the conductor before conducting gives a shout out to him being there. Like, yeah, it's people like, you know, it's people like Joe over here. And we know you're here, Joe. And we love your support, you know, who have kept this, you know, this magic, like, you know, thriving through all the years. It's like he's a rock star in the community. Yeah. Um, he is a Batman cosplay, black dude, Batman cosplayer in Times Square. He's <laughs> like one of those people. But he always has his power glove on. Oh, my God. He does not leave the house without wearing his power glove. You know how hard it is to clean a power glove? You know what? You can't clean a power glove. That has got to be one funky glove. Uh, He has a number of them. Okay. Uh, But but now it's become one of those things. It's like one of the more sought-after collector's items. Yeah. Everybody who has one, like, oh, yeah, it's a piece of shit. But, yeah, I have it in this glass display case because, hey. It's a power glove. And one more thing about the power glove. I saw a couple of years ago that some um, animator or movie producer, or like some like movie special effects guy, I guess who works in stop motion animation, reprogrammed a power glove 
to work with like a camera so that he can make subtle movements to the camera for like stop frame animation. Um, so it was like a repurposing of the power glove. One of the, one of the parts of that documentary that I sent you uh, had a bunch of people who've repurposed it for different. <laughs> and it's <laughs> funny because yeah. some people have repurposed it to help with electronic. Like there's some big one of these, you know, guys who like perform in front of like stadiums, DJs type guy. Mm. It's all all his music is played through his power glove. Oh right, because it's just like right there, yeah. And it's it, so it was funny. It's that's like great. yeah, it, it's it's a dismal failure that was wildly successful. That's legacy has lived on through the years. So great. it was it was interesting. So long live the power glove. And, and, thank you. Um, nope, not talking anything Netflix, anything you know, yeah. watching. Um, we've already done that. You got a parenting tip? No, I don't have kids anymore. Oh, you know, I didn't. I didn't. You, you st- you're always a parent. Look, it, I'm calling you out. That's complete bullshit because my mom has not stopped her parenting tips <laughs> and she's pushing 80. So if she still has these nuggets to throw out there uh, 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 of divineness, you know. Yeah. What do you have for your parenting tip you know, of I 2020? Didn't, I didn't write one down. So let me come up with uh, one on the spot. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, Christmas, you know, a big time. Um, uh, you know, you know that I think, um, do they know it's Christmas? Feed the world. Let them know it's Christmas time. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, okay. So one of the Christmas gifts that the boys got was, uh, we got them, we didn't buy them skis. We got them a ski package to rent for the years because their feet will grow. So don't buy them boots in the years. I took the boys skiing. And it was uh, absolutely, completely miserable. And my oldest son uh, nicely told me how much it sucked and that how lucky I am that I didn't have a dad growing up who made him go and do things like this all the time and try new stuff. So my thing is, even though they're going to tell you what a piece of shit you are and they don't want to try new things, yeah, make them do it anyways with the hope that one day they'll appreciate it, or at least you can say, yeah, I fucking tried. (laughs) (laughs) You're the stupid one. I I fucking tried. You know what I mean? I can lead a horse to water, but legally I can't beat it. So my thing is make them try new things even if they don't want to because it's the right thing to do. You're supposed to, and if they take to it, great. If not, you can say, hey, you little fuck, this is on you, not me. Oh, one thing I do want to mention I watched was the uh, Dave Chappelle uh, Mark Twain Prize special on PBS. That was interesting. The one thing I liked was they had a bunch of comedians go up in there and present and make a little speech. And one of them was Jon Stewart. And Jon Stewart gets up there and he goes, you know, we were up there with, uh, we were, you know, we were at Comedy Central, Dave Chappelle and I, you know, same time, I on The Daily Show, he was Chappelle's show. And he did something when season three came around he was at a crossroads. He knew that the show was getting so big and it was getting to the point where maybe it was not making this, the, the points that he wanted to make to his intended audience. That it was, not, it was getting away from what he intended the show to be. And Comedy Central begged him to come back so much so that they offered him 50 million dollars 
$50 million to do one more season of The Chappelle Show, season three. And Dave, to his credit, said no and walked away. And I saw that, and the first thing I thought of was, wow, Comedy Central has $50 million? (laughs) They won't let us have snacks on The Daily Show. But let me tell you this, Dave. I want you to know that I'm getting emotional, but I raised that money as if it were my own. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm sold. Yeah. I'm sold. Does Stuart have the Dave Letterman beard going, or has he? You know, it's very trim. Okay. Very, he looks. He actually looks a little, uh, little gaunt. Like oh, he looks really, really kind of, kind of really like thin. Not oh. not sickly, but like, like you could tell he's gonna. He's an older guy. You know, like his cheekbones are a little, little sunken in. You know? I think we're the same age. Just shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, I don't know. He, he, he's a skinny guy. Um, but then, yeah, you, you I had am not. <laughs> Have some more uh, chips and... I beat Andy Rex, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a good watch. It's well-produced. They actually go back and forth between the <clears throat> the stage production, where he's at the Kennedy Center, and uh, him performing at the DC Improv to, like, 100 people. And, like, the mayor of, of Washington, D.C. is in the crowd as well, and he interacts with her, and he goes... Um, you know, so he says, like, you are so well, re- you are so well revered in this town. And the way you turn this city around, you know what? You deserve for one night to just do crack. You, <laughs> you've earned it. And we'll still back you on the next day, you know. Uh, anyway, so it, it's worth a watch. And I'm white. Thank you. Um, well, apologies for the long hiatus. Uh um, Joe, it, it's great to see you. That great to do this. Uh, Good to see you. And I apologize for the long uh, episode that what? we just recorded. Oh yes, because you were the one who were ranting about. Uh, let's see, let's go notes. Um, Don't nothing. fuck with cats. <laughs> yeah, you went off about that. Yeah, at, at my insistence. Yes, I went off about everything else. Right. <laughs> so, hey. so uh, I do. I really do want to do a Star Wars soon. Um, Maybe after you see, you know, a Star Wars rise, show? rise, rise, yeah, mm. you know, because you know we've done one before. I think, I think we did it when uh, when the last, last one Jedi. came out. Yeah, Last mm. Jedi, uh, and then we ranked them and stuff. But this is about the timeline. You know, mm. I, I've I've had the time to go down the rabbit hole of like investigating what the timeline is, and you know, and it's interesting. Basically, a, a little sneak peek. They they divide the timeline like. B.C. and A.D. And it is uh, B.B.Y. or A.B.B.Y. Uh, the Battle of uh, Yenin. Yavin. Yavin. Sorry. Yavin. Yavin. I'm not the Star Wars guy. And I, I know don't it's pronounce it right. Y-A-V-I-N. Yavin. And, and, and Yavin 4. Nice. Yavin. Yavin 4 is the planet, like the indoor planet, you know. Where the Ewoks were, um, that that is AD, like like that is when you go from BC to AD, like leading up. So it's like thirty seven BBY is before the Battle of Yavin, and after the Battle of Yavin, mm-hmm. and so like uh, uh, the four uh, the first Jedi one, the, the, the when they find Anakin, uh, don't say it, Phantom Menace is uh, thirty seven BBY, you know. Uh, and a new hope is something like 
You know, two. Tw- no, no, oh. because Luke, you know, oh, Battle of Yavin. Uh, yeah, is yeah, when. yeah, yeah, Yavin. Right, right, right. So, so that is. When was the Battle of Yavin? Episode six. That, that was Epi- no, no, that, that, no. That was that. that and, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, I'm sorry. I fucked up. The Death Star. The, the blowing up of the Death Star. Yeah. You know, which was off the no, yeah. So. Yeah, so so it's interesting how how that all worked, and then like I said, I want to talk about like you know what is canon and what was canon and what Lucas considers canon, and what's really interesting is there's three people who are like the, the keepers of the gate of this. One guy is just a fan who you know was from like Winnipeg or something like that, who was an online guy who followed this for years, but he knew more about Star Wars than anybody in Lucas's realm, more than Lucas. So he just became like the de facto. And so they like, that's his job. They hired him, moved him in there, and he is like, you know, one of the the librarian slash gatekeepers of what is and what isn't. Hmm. And when you borrow something from canon, like – canon like non-canon like they change it to legacy but they've pulled stuff from that into canon canon and stuff like that and it does it remain legacy in this book in this timeline in this story but yet like you know the dual right lights anyways yeah right i know the mandalorian is doing that now they're borrowing from legacy or they're in they're in they're they're taking things from the books that are part of the mandalorian lore and they're inserting it into the new so 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 um, the dark saber is, spoilers is yeah. It's been a two months. <laughs> Has it? And, and we haven't done a podcast in over a month, right? Or a month. It's as a month. By the time this drops, it will have been like a day away from a month. The last podcast we recorded was on the fourteenth. You can't. Oh yeah, you don't get it for you get it for free. But I'm thinking, should I cancel Disney Plus until the fall? I mean, yeah. there's really like there's no really nothing. Yeah, there's no, like that's the Mandalorian channel. For right? Me. I, no, it's. I'm sorry, it's the what channel? What, the Mandalorian? Try oh, the, again. Oh, the Baby Yoda. Thank <laughs> you. Come on. It's been three weeks. Yeah, or whatever. Four. Who's counting? Um, well, not Canadians. I sure. was told there'd be no man. <laughs> they, um, so, so, but the Dark Saber was from Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. It was, it was from the Mandalorian story from Clone Wars but Clone season Wars five. is canon. Clone Wars is canon. Right. So, but there are elements. Anyways, it's great. You know, okay. um, and then you know, there's more. There's more, li- you know, Star Wars live stuff coming. This deserves a podcast of its own. Uh, and I do. I want to do a Buck Henry podcast because that guy. I mean, dude, where do you rank the Cone of Silence and come and sitcom lore? What? <laughs> See, he's baiting me into going. Down. Where do you rate <laughs> the Cone of Silence in comedy lore? What? <laughs> uh, if uh, if you don't know what the cone of silence is, uh, you go to Wikipedia or, or go to Google and fuck yourself, you know, because it's uh, it's the greatest thing ever. Uh, and sadly, we'll go out on like you know, I put you know, I put Tom Sawyer, and I know people, you know, like Mike, uh, Tom Sawyer is. Is touch of gray for touch of gray, yeah. Um, hungry like the wolf, mm-hmm. you know. I, I, no, eat it. No, here's yeah. The eat it is that is that is that is that it for for Weird Al? What so what, what is his touch of gray? Like, give me the one. Is it fat? Is it eat it? Oh God! I mean, now it'd be like um, 
God, I don't know. I mean, this generation is so fast paced, and you know, they they really, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe white and nerdy, probably, maybe that. But I mean, so here's the thing: my wife is following Duran Duran around the world. She's seen him in all these places. It, it, you know, it, it is her biggest thing. Um, you know, when she goes to concerts, she gets excited if they play a song that she hasn't heard them play the last 10 times she's seen him and it's a b-side to something you know and and it's all that great but she doesn't turn off the car radio when hungry like the wolf comes on she wishes they played something else um with rush i'm not the hugest i can't go through the entire catalog i can tell you you know moving pictures came out uh, i got it for my birthday um the end of seventh grade going into eighth grade that summer i i got Diver Madman by Ozzy. I got Moving Pictures by Rush, and I got um, I got Outlandos Outlandos D'Amour from the Police. Outlandos D'Amour is one of my favorite albums. Um, Diary Madman was great, but Moving Pictures was it? Like that was everything in my world. Um, Fourth of July, as you know, is a big day in Wilmington, the big carnival. I won one of those stupid little mirrors. Oh, the God, the rush, cocaine mirrors? The rush mirror. Right, the cocaine mirror. It was the rush, you know, the rush <laughs> symbol with the with allegedly a naked guitarist, you know, the Alex, a guitarist, like, you know, posing. Um, you could see his exposed buttocks. And uh, nice. anyways, like, yeah, moving pictures was everything. I mean, and that that time of music, it was when you went from having to listen to whatever mom had on the radio in the car to this is my music. This is, you know, and I don't wouldn't be surprised if it was Mike Sullivan who gave me moving pictures. Uh, but Tom Sawyer, it's, it's so, you know, worn out for like hardcore rush fans. Uh, but I still love it. It's still like, it, it, it's, it speaks everything to that era of me. It makes me utterly happy. Um, uh, I, 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 as a, as a drummer, I owe nothing to Neil Pert um, because on my best day and his worst day, we don't play the same instrument. There's nothing I've borrowed from him except uh, my love of playing the drums. Uh, like it's, he's one of those things. It's like, yeah, please never have a conversation in which we're mentioned in the same, not in even the same breath, in the same conversation. But he was, he was the God. Um, and uh, and then I, I'm done. Rest in peace, Neil Pert, and um, thank you for granting us the license to play the song at the end. <laughs> I mean, that was really magnanimous. I think that was in his will. I think he said that any asshole podcast that wants to illegally download a song from the Rush Uvra uh, uh, is allowed to just openly play a, a, a portion of it, which I will only play about a 15-second portion of and then fade out of because I really don't want to get... Uh, I don't know. I just don't want to play an entire Rush song. How about that? No, it's it's they're they're very nice. Uh, rest in peace, Neil Peart again, and um, fuck you, Don Imus, right up the fucking asshole. <laughs> fuck you and your fucking cancer ranch. Um, I hope you're bailing hay in hell. Uh, that's my podcast, and uh, that's our podcast. Thank you for listening to Carnival Personnel. Here's to another four week hiatus, Jacques. Don't forget. A Monday. Me.